Good morning, everyone. Uh, if you're watching online, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Um, if you happen to be up in the Manchester area or, or you know someone that lives up in the Manchester area, um, they're having their very first uh, men's breakfast ever uh, this coming Saturday. So uh, if you want to participate in that, it's at 8 o'clock, kind of same format as we use here in Chelmsford. And also midweek up in uh, Manchester, I'm teaching through the Book of Acts, um, and that's on Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock. And this coming Wednesday, we're in Acts uh, chapter 3. So, but this morning, we find ourselves in John chapter 15. So if you'll turn to John chapter 15 this morning, uh, we'll begin with a word of prayer and then uh, explore uh, our text together this morning. So let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for all that you're doing in our midst. And Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts as we uh, look at your word this morning and that uh, engaging you in your word would produce uh, a, a love for Christ, uh, a Christ-likeness in our hearts and in our lives, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. Come to John chapter 15. Uh, John 15 is part of the what we would call the upper room discourse, and it began in chapter 13. And Jesus is really, if we could uh, kind of put a summary on upper room discourse, Jesus really preparing his disciples to engage in ministry. And we know that in uh, John chapter 13, uh, Jesus washed the disciples' feet, and he says to them that, as I've done it to you, you know, continue to wash each other's feet. And even some churches, they have, they have, they celebrate that. Uh, they celebrate that every year. So in John chapter 13, Jesus shows them how to minister to one another. He also talks about um, one of them, Judas, is going to betray uh, the Lord. And then uh, chapter 14 is he. Jesus sees the the. Uh, anxiety and difficulties that they're having in their hearts. And he says in John chapter 14, verse 1, he says, let not their hearts be troubled. And then he goes on and shares about the relationship that he shares with them and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And we come to 15, and uh, chapter 15 uh, is going to be followed by 16 and 17, that great, uh, great, prayer that Jesus prays, and, and then Gethsemane, and then, and then the passion of, of Christ. And so 15 is really kind of in this pivotal place where uh, Jesus takes the 11, right? One has gone to betray, takes the 11. They're coming out of the upper room. I think it's uh, Warren Wearsby who uh, did an excellent job of uh, kind of... Uh, creating a color commentary of what happens when they come out of the old part of the city and they, they travel, travel down uh, the brick walkways and come out and they're in the Kidron Valley and uh, uh, they're looking up at the temple and what they see under the full moon of the Passover moon, what they see when they're looking at the doors, these massive bronze doors of the temple, they're seeing this impression of a vine. They're going down 
the Kidron Valley, which is all vineyards. And Jesus is passing through these vineyards. They're looking up at the Temple Mount. They're seeing the vine on the temple. And what was symbolic now becomes fulfilled. As Israel was the vine, symbolically, Jesus, as a metaphor, takes that imagery and he uses uh, the language of deity, uh, a theological term, a deity, and claims and professes that that vine is that, he uses that language of deity from Exodus chapter 3, that I am, and he expresses to his disciples in a way that says, I am what was pictured symbolically, I am the fulfillment of all those promises. And so John chapter 15 is this amazing progression that prepares the disciples, and by default, you and I, of how can we be fruitful for the Lord? You know, how can we, say, produce things that would be pleasing to God. And it's at, say, contrary to what I think many Christians would think. You know, when a pastor would say, oh, you need to do good works and you need to be fruitful for the Lord. A lot of times we think of, of people and things and activities. Uh, we can think of being fruitful in the life of the church with things and activities and uh, how's the budget and how's the number of people. But John chapter 15 gets at it a different way. Sometimes we accept uh, fruitfulness as defined by our secular jobs. Like my son, Timothy, when he got out of college, um, his, his job was like as a assistant to the assistant bank manager. He was that that floor manager that when you come into the bank, it's, you know, you come into the bank, uh, if you even go to a bank anymore, if you, if you go into a bank, you always have that nice chipper person. Good morning. And what can I help you with? And they're always trying to be helpful. And, and, you know, and you're grumpy because, you know, it's Saturday morning and you want to be somewhere else, but you had to go to the bank. And, well, he was that person. But now he's the regional vice president and his world is all about a spreadsheet. Like Sunday afternoon around 3 or 4 o'clock, Tim's going to get the numbers. And his, his boss is like, Tim, we're so glad your group has, we really appreciate what you did last quarter, Tim. It's really top notch. And then the conversation pauses and transitions. This, and what are you and your group going to do for us today? Like this quarter. Like last quarter's good, but what are you going to do this quarter? And there's that competitiveness and, and that drive for performance. And many Christians can get caught up in that. But that's not how Jesus defines fruitfulness. It's not about performance. It's, it's not about trying to get the Lord to love you is that the Lord loves you already. He accepts you just the way you are. And so Jesus is unpackaging this aspect of fruitfulness for his disciples. 
I've broken down the chapter because it's hard to address the issue by just taking half the chapter. I've divided the chapter in verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. So in verse 1, we see the, the people that are in play in how to be fruitful. We see that Jesus is that, that true vine. He's I am. He's completely the Lord. He's true and right. He's perfect. Jesus is that vine that, that brings forth life and eternal life. And then you see the work of the Father. The Father is the who. Who's the Father in the metaphor little parable here that Jesus gives. The father is the vine dresser. He's the father that is going to create fruitfulness. It's the father who's going to create fruitfulness. And what is helpful in understanding is, uh, is how he does that in our lives. And then we have us, those that love Christ. We're the branches we're drawing our life from him. Yet, we participate in that process. And so what does that look like? Let's look at verse 1. We covered it mostly already. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. And then in verses 2 through 6, it's going to show how the father operates in our lives. Verses 2 through 6. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Verse 4, abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. And so it's pretty straightforward. If you've ever grown grapes, like I did for many years, uh, we had some wild conquered grapes uh, in where I lived in Bill Ricker, and I tended those things for years and years and years and clipped them back, and they would blossom with all these huge leaves. But you didn't want the big green leaves. What did you want? You, you wanted the fruit. Uh, Nancy and I have all kinds of geraniums and uh, uh, oh, what is the name of the red one? What's the name of the red one? It's a vine and flowers. Mandevilla, yeah. So we've got mandevillas and they always need attention because they'll become overgrown and they won't produce flowers and, and, uh, and when you tend to them, in theological terms, when we break this apart, we can see that, uh, that there's discipline, that fruitless branches are removed from us. They're thrown into the fire because they're useless. We know from Hebrews, gave you the text re reference here, in Hebrews chapter 12, it says, discipline is not always what? doesn't always produce joy in our life. It can be difficult, but it's because of the Father's love for us 
that he disciplines us. If it weren't so, we would, we would not be his, but we are his, and the Father loves us. Secondly, we can see the fruitful are pruned. It means to purge or to make clean. And that is that work of sanctification that the Lord does in our life. He prunes us. He cleans us. He disciplines us by cutting off things in our life that don't produce godliness or, or holiness. And already what we see is that fruitfulness is not so much something that is exterior, but is where? It's the attitudes of the heart. It's the, it's the things that we have deep in, our, deep in our soul. When my kids were growing up, uh, they're adults now, but when Tim and Becky were growing up and they would do something wrong, dad would go, always go through this process. And as the process began, their annoyance level would go up. And we would sit them down, or Becky or Tim. I mean, Becky was kind of this perfect child. If you just had one child, you would think, wow, wow, I'm a professional parent. I know how to do it. And then you get another one, and you go, "Ah." But you sit them down, and you'd say, you did this. And I would go to them, tell me what was in your heart when you did that. No, Dad, just, no, I don't want to go there. I mean, no, no, really, tell me what was in your heart when you did this activity. Oh, just, just get the punishment over with and let's move on, you know? It's a, the real transformation, the real fruit bearing happens within and manifests itself on the outside. We could see the Father's work comes through the Word of God because that is, Hebrews 4.12, that is the two-edged sword. That is the means of pruning that the Word of God condemns sin and it removes evil. And we know that the vine dresser or the farmer, that that's his heart for us that the Father's heart is that we produce that internal work. That's the work of the Holy Spirit to let the life of Christ dwell in us so that his life could shine forth and manifest itself to the world around us. Jesus talks about who he is. He talks about who the Father is. But in verses 7 through 11, we find that Philippians 2.12 principle in play. And that Philippians 2.12 is that to work out your salvation, and then the verse is balanced off by the second part of that verse in 2.12, Philippians 2.12, for it is God who's working in you. One of the seeming paradoxes of the text here is that the fruitfulness that comes forth from our life is completely of God. The text says that. Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. And there's this apparent paradox here that is, it is all God. 
And in the and in the tension of that, the Lord never removes human responsibility. They're always coupled together. And as the Holy Spirit works to bring the life of Christ, that Romans 8, 29, that as we're being conformed, that we, what we see is that, that growing sanctification, that growing desire for Christ-likeness, that growing holiness that prompts us to do what? To choose to walk in, to choose to appropriate, to choose to see the glory of Christ in the Word of God and to use prayer to continually connect ourselves with that reality in our hearts and in our lives. And Jesus expresses that in verses 7 through 11. Come there with me. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, see the, the, the word of God is always central in the sanctification and in the growth of a believer is that you can't, Romans 12, 1 is that we renew our minds by the word of God. That's why each and every morning in daily devotions is to focus the heart on the word of God and then to couple that with prayer brings about what we'll see, friendship, relationship. It's one of the fruits that's going to come forth. We'll see a little bit farther along in the text. Jesus says that, that the responsibility is to rest in the word of God, to abide in me, and my words abide in you. And then we see this aspect of prayer, whatever you, whatever you wish, and, and it will be done for you. And we've talked about that at length, that, that as God shapes and molds our heart, we're, we're, we're not asking for the next material thing. We're, we're asking for the next heart transformation. And that's why the Lord brings people into our lives so that we could choose to love them. Like Jesus. Like he said, like the disciples said, well, they had their little beads out. How many times do I have to forgive someone? How about 70 times 7? And it's not that at all. Those are the transformational moments in our heart and in our life. Back to the text. It says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And so we see the completeness. It is God's work, and yet we have that choice to, to step into that by obeying God's word and by praying to him. And as we obey God's word and as we pray to him, we cooperate with the transformational work that God wants to be 
that God wants, the Father wants to, by the work of the Holy Spirit, by the purchase of Christ on the cross for us, our souls, that that Trinitarian aspect of God, they want and produce in our life a life that glorifies God and gives honor to the, honor to the work of Christ so that our life may be changed and the world may know. And then there is a transition in the text that begins to talk about like what will happen fruit-wise in our lives. And what will happen fruit-wise in our life as we look at the next section in the verses is that we're going to experience friendship with God. We're going to experience that union with God because of the work of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit in our life and in our heart. And here's what Jesus says that would look like. He says, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be what? Full. How many people would like more joy in their life? Yeah, yeah all of us. How do we get there? We, we get there from from receiving what the Father's done by faith in our life and then by walking in that, walking, beholding Christ in his word and through prayer, and by surrendering our will to his will. And that when the opportunities and junctures come in life, we choose Christ. We choose his word, and we choose to pray for him, pray to him. And when we do that, our heart aligns with God's heart. Our will aligns with his will. And we come into that place in our life where we are walking with him. It's called this. It's called the spirit-filled life, is that we have aligned our heart with his heart. We have embraced and received by faith the Father's work in our life, and the fruit that comes out of that. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. And then the rest of the text is expressing that fruitful life, that life in the Spirit, that life that we live in union with Christ. Verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. What is the greatest evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit and the life of a believer. It's agape. The greatest evidence of God's work of redemption, regeneration in our heart and in our life is that we love people that don't love us. The greatest evidence 
of God's continually sanctifying work in our life is when we love our neighbor who continually blows his leaves into our lot after we've raked all Saturday afternoon. It's to love and have a gentle disposition of heart. It's when the doorbell rings and the person is an advocate for everything we despise. And instead of trying to knock them over the head, we do what Pastor Red did not do, which is how to engage him in a way that's redemptive, in a way that Christ-like. The greatest fruit of the work of redemption in our life is do we love our neighbor and are we willing to sacrifice? And he goes on uh, talking about fruitfulness. You are my what? Friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear much fruit and that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you love one another. And those two verses are a complete summary of all of 15. It's all of God. You didn't chose me, I chose you. John chapter six. All that the Father has given to me, I have those. Those, you are mine, the Father says. I chose you. And when it's all of God, we see that, that relationship of us stepping into it through what? Obedience in the word of God and prayer that we access all of that joy and all of that fruit that God would have for us. The last section has a variety of interpretations to it. I'll share this, and then we'll, we'll talk about it for a moment. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, and this pertains to how do I understand this aspect of hatred for the world and hatred for Christ and and the dynamic that presents itself. How, is, how does that speak to our fruitfulness? Let me unpackage it in a way that at least helps me. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul is writing about proclaiming the gospel and all the struggles that's, that has been brought about through proclaiming the gospel, the kingdom of God, to advancing the mission through the establishment of the church. So that's the context. Paul's talking about mission, advancing the kingdom of God, and Paul says this in Colossians 1.24, and then I'm going to apply it to the last section. Paul says this, that he was filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body, that is the church. Let me say it again. Paul says that his struggles, he was filling up 
what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. And in this last section, when we're abiding in Christ, when we're, the Holy Spirit is bringing the life of Christ within us, and the Holy Spirit is working in our life so that the life of Christ is displayed in other gospel language that we, we are called to let our light shine before men. And so as the Holy Spirit is working in our life and conforming us to Christ, we're letting our light shine to the world around us. What is the fruit of that? What is the fruit of shining our light before our community? Well, we could just camp out on, the, on what the fruit on a positive view is, which is, oh, it's joy, and it's seeing people come to Christ, and, and it's about advancing the gospel, it's about praying for people, and seeing people touched by the Holy Spirit. But when we light, let our light shine to the community, what else does the fruit what other fruit is produced? Jesus kind of gets at it like this. When every person, man or woman, is mature, he will be like his who? Be like his teacher. And so Jesus is equipping his disciples to be fruitful in an understanding that fruitfulness also includes that you will be, you will be persecuted. Paul says that to Timothy. In the last days, you will be persecuted. And the fruit of letting our light shine before men is that aspect of persecution. And the fruit that's attached to that is I will bless and not curse. I will love my enemies. And when we look at the fruitfulness that Christ desires in our heart and life, it's that fruitfulness that we will follow in the steps of Christ. Come with, come with me to 1 Peter. First Peter chapter 2. And in verse 21, for this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in, you might follow how? You might place yourself in, in, in his steps. He committed no sin Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not what? He did, he did not respond in kind. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not what? But continued entrusting himself to who? Uh, let's say, let's change the word choice. He continued to abide in who? 
He continued to rest in his father. And so the great transformation and the great work of bearing fruit certainly has to do with obedience, certainly has to do with embracing God's word, certainly has to do with prayerfulness, certainly has to do with love, joy, peace, but also has to deal with how we relate the fruitfulness, how we relate to a culture that's antagonistic to the gospel. And that's my great concern. That we are fruitful in all these other areas. But we're also fruitful in engaging a culture that is rapidly declining. We can be fruitful in all ways within the household of God and within our family. We can love and be sacrificial because in some ways it serves us well. Like why would you not want to love your wife? It's like, it's like, I always taught my kids not to use the word stupid, but it's really stupid. Why would you not want to love your husband? Why would you not want to love your children? It's easy in the household of faith and within our family to to walk in these spiritual things. It's quite a different thing to go into our community and love those who hate you. Love those who despise the gospel. Love those that hate Christ. That is the fruitfulness that we see at the end of John 15. And the promise is that we have the abiding power of the Holy Spirit to help us to be able to do that. To love God with all of our heart. To love our neighbor deeply and without reserve. I'm not there. I wasn't there last week. My prayer is God work in my heart. Sanctify a crusty 66-year-old white Irishman so that he can be like his Savior, Jesus. And that's the journey that we're all on. To become conformed to Jesus that brings hope to the world and brings glory to his redemptive work. Amen? We're going to celebrate the Lord's table in closing this morning and remind ourselves that it's all God. It's all Him. It's all His gift of love to us in sending the Father, sending the Son, and the Son sending the Spirit. Let's prepare our hearts.